When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of THN On The Queue. I'm Will. He's Jamie. We're looking forward to bringing you all the news as it's happened over the last seven days and all the news that's yet to come in the queue on a, another wonderful episode. But Jamie, before we get too far into that, so you're known in ranks throughout the queue, throughout the OHL, mm-hmm. throughout the WHL, and I guess at some point you decided, you know, not good enough for me. Uh, I got to go take a trip down south and, uh, you know, infringe on our friends in the NCAA pod and uh, taking a few games down there. So uh, tell us about your week, bud. Yep. Yeah, well, the reality is that we're running out of CHL ranks. So we got to start uh, expanding a little bit. I uh, went down to, uh, down to Boston, saw a couple of great games down there. I've been wanting to see this uh, this head-to-head series for a few years now, BU at BC. Uh, mm-hmm. So the game Friday night was at Boston University. The game Saturday was at Boston College. Uh, terrific, terrific games, um, even though BU is a little bit, uh, maybe significantly better than BC this year, but uh, and it definitely looked like it on Friday night. Uh, but still great games. And, um, you know, I tell people all the time that it's easy for us Canadians to, you know, sit up here and look at how great junior hockey is, but it's really something to see, um, these college games and that type of environment is, it's quite a, quite an atmosphere, um, unbelievable facilities. Um, but you know, the thing that stands out is the, just the, the games, they mean so much to these players. Like that's just in reality, just a random regular season game between two rivals. Right. But it, the game mm-hmm. just means so much. Um, to those players. So, and you could tell just from the way they're celebrating and chirping each other um, is great, great, great hockey. Yeah. And, you know, two, you mentioned two excellent facilities, you know, the Conte forum is a beautiful spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've yet to get to a game there, but I have gotten to a game at the Aganis. Um, you and I were mentioning this on Twitter when you were down there it was uh, of all things, a game between uh, university of Prince Edward Island yes. and BU. About, big rivalry. Uh, it was a big rivalry. Absolutely. <laughs> Longstanding. You know, Habs Bruins, Habs leaves each other. It's B-U-U-P-E-I all the time. <laughs> And it was uh, pretty one-sided uh, in favor of the team you would expect it to be one-sided in in favor yeah. of. But uh, no, an excellent facility. You talk about the atmosphere. It's just uh, I think the best way I've described it is it's almost a combination between um, all the best of a really high tempo hockey atmosphere with basically with marching bands. It's like college football meets hockey yeah. in the stands. Yep. And it's it's unlike anything. If anybody have, ever has an opportunity to get down and uh, watch games anywhere in the NCAA, particularly if it's a Div 1 game, you know, yep. take full advantage because you're going to see something that you've never seen before. And you're gonna you, you may shake your head at some of the stuff, but you're 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 gonna leave uh, you're gonna leave happy. They're gonna yep. they're, unless you're cheering for a particular team and they don't win. <laughs> 
But uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, players in the NCAA route a little bit later on in this show. But first, uh, we'll do a little spin around the league here. Um, obviously, it's another week, so we got to talk about both the Halifax Moose and the Quebec Ramparts. Quebec and scores, because that's that's what we do here. There's you know the Halifax, Quebec, and then there's like everything else uh, uh at this point quebec uh, now bumped up to number one in the chl top 10 halifax is number three 21 straight games with a point for the moose 11 straight games for the rampar um but if you're the rampar um you've got a key game coming up this week that could um put that streak in jeopardy um and uh, as far as the Moose go, um, you know, they're into record territory. You know, we talked about this with Logan Delaney uh, last week, Jamie. But, um, you, know, you know, he made the comment of, have we seen the Moose has played their best hockey yet? Um, can we still say that after another week full of wins? Yeah, I mean, definitely a huge game that I think everyone's looking forward to on Thursday. Quebec and, and Sherbrooke, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um <laughs> Unfortunately, during the week again, I think that happened the last time, one of the last times the two of them played. So, uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. yeah, yeah good Thursday old Thursday night, night rivalry yes. between two of the yeah. top teams in the league. Yeah. You gotta love it, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, the rest of the week is pretty easy, you know, Armada and then and then the struggling Wildcats. Um, and then you look at Halifax's schedule, um, also quite easy, Charlottetown twice, and then Ramuski. Um, so yeah, that, that game for Quebec is going to be key. Um, you look at the Mooseheads, you know, they're continuing to try and inch closer to Quebec. And it's got to be a little frustrating because uh, they literally cannot play any better to try and make up some ground. But then, of course, the team above them um, is on the same pace as them. So they're really having a hard time getting some ground. But um, we could see some ground made up with that if Sherbrooke is able to beat Quebec. Um, but I, big, another big test, I feel like I say this every week, another big mental test for the Mooseheads, um, you know, these are kind of these trap games, right? These uh, mm -hmm. games against the lower end opponents. And this is often the time of year where the good teams can kind of take some nights off against lower end opponents. Um, mm -hmm. So, and they've got a big, big meeting next Wednesday in Gatineau. So um, they're not going to want to look ahead to that game too much. No, no, for sure. And, you know, you talk about the trap games, you know, there's been a couple of times during this streak where they almost fell into that trap, really. Yep. Now, they, they lost in overtime on New Year's Eve um, against uh, Cape Breton, uh, a game that they had to lead in. They still got a point, which allows this point streak to continue. And even uh, the other week against St. John, which ended up, uh, you know, a game that ended up being a 10-7 final mm -hmm. uh, against the Sea Dogs, who've really shown their offensive chops on more than one occasion uh in the past couple of weeks including against those uh Moncton Wildcats that we're going to talk about here uh, very very shortly but yeah you gotta wonder with Halifax you know it's not to you know not to root for failure because you know it's it's intriguing it's actually really compelling you know how well they've played they're expected to be a good team but not maybe not quite this good and of course the trades at the uh, deadline have helped that but you know does you know is it do, do we fall into the trap here this week where we're going to have to wait and find out, but back to back against the, uh, the Islanders who have been playing better as of late should be interesting to see what happens there. And, you know, we talked about the Moncton Wildcats. Well, we're not talking about the Moncton Wildcats for the right reasons. That's for sure. Uh, four and six in their past 10 and just a couple of really ugly losses, um, you know, seven, three to St. John and six, four to Cape Breton at both at home. Uh, this past weekend, 
uh, you know, two games that just judging by the standings alone, you know, should be winnable games. Um, but, uh, you know, they've just, they've, they've hit this, they've hit this wall and it's not like this is something new. They've been, they've, they've had uh, a few games, you know, here and there, Jamie, where they just don't seem to be with it. Like they're, you know, losing to teams far below them in the standings. They're, they're, they're not getting up for, for certain opponents. And by the time, or even worse, they're squandering leads, you know, on more than one occasion we've seen that. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, just come out and ask the question, um, are you at this point um, surprised that heading into what's going to be a big test this week in Quebec, you surprised Dan Lacroix is still behind the bench? Well, I am a little bit surprised, but I think obviously the team has some confidence in him if he's still with the team heading into this road trip. And I actually had to double check to make sure this wasn't a typo in our show notes so that this road trip coming up will. Like, this is a ridiculously hard road trip. Gatineau, Victoriaville, and Quebec, that's almost like comically difficult. Um, and given the way the Wildcats have played lately, I, I mean, the expectations are quite low. Um, but like you said, I mean, it seems like they're, they're struggling to get up for these lesser opponents. Um, mm-hmm. so maybe they will be able to turn it on and then get up for some of these big games and get in the way on a road trip. Maybe that'll help. Um, but yeah, th- this team has not lived up to, to expectations this year. Um, I think, you know, you look at their, their recent games, obviously a rough weekend, four and six in the last 10, but just their overall record. They're only two games above 500, uh, you know, yeah. in hockey terms and, you know, in, re- in real life, they are 500 uh, if you mm-hmm. include those overtime losses or shootout losses. Um, and pl- in the division they're in, I think most people would have expected them to be quite a bit better um, than where they're at right now. Um, I'm not I'm not confident saying it's just the coaching. I think, you know, I kind of wonder if this, this core is just maybe a little bit stale. Maybe they just need a little bit of a push um, in the offseason. Um, but it's, it's, it's really not working right now. And I think um, I'm sure the Wildcats are, are really hoping this turns around. Yeah, definitely. And you, as you said, you know the fact that they're they're facing two very three very strong opponents um, in this upcoming road trip. Maybe that is kind of the tonic they they need. You know, they lost uh, at home to the Rampart uh, a few weeks ago, but by all accounts, it was uh, it was a close game. You know, it was I believe four two with an empty netter. So uh, you know, they certainly showed uh, their their capability of of hanging in there with the top ranked team in the CHL. Um, you know, it's just funny though. I look at this road trip and it does remind me of when Dan Lacroix first became the coach of the Moncton Wildcats. And I'm not talking about this recent, this recent uh, occasion. He was actually the head coach uh, for half a season back in 2005. Uh, that Wildcats team was challenging for first place uh, the entire first half of the regular season. And um, their coach was a guy by the name of Christian LaRue. He had taken them to the uh, President Cup final the year before. And uh, they're a very strong team. They were on the verge of hosting the Memorial Cup in 2006. And uh, they just hit a wall. Uh, there was per- some questionable personnel changes on the ice that, that occurred. Um, one thing led to another. And they really went in the tank in the month of January. And it was on a similar road trip. They ended up losing, uh, I'll never forget it, they ended up losing in Ramuski 
on like a Saturday night. And this was Sidney Crosby's NHL draft year, may I remind you. Um, so they ended up losing about 9-2. Crosby probably somehow had like 11 points because that's <laughs> how things went. And uh, and uh, and uh, Christian LaRue was fired in favor of Dan LaCroix, who actually turned things around to the point that they won a first-round series against uh, Drummondville and uh, Guillaume Latangas and then ended up losing to Rand Rand in the second round. And, of course, he stayed on as an assistant coach the year after when uh, Ted Nolan and Danny Flynn came on board and they won the President Cup and almost won the Memorial Cup. So this kind of has those same vibes. Um, like, it's been... It, it's not quite the same prolonged streak as what I just mentioned in 2005, but just a lot of ugly losses. And, you know, we all know there's there's a guy that owns this team, Um yeah, I think he's he's big in the French fry and uh, paper towel business, um, and uh, he ain't gonna stand for it. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point uh, the shoot is pulled. Obviously, if this continues, uh, I hope not for Dan Lacroix's sake. He's yeah. a stand-up guy and an excellent yeah. coach, but at a certain point, something's got to give, and you can't fire the team, especially at yeah. this level. So um, going to be interesting to see what happens. And, of course, the, the Wildcats, they uh, have uh, in their lineup uh, back from Langley, B.C., uh, one Etienne Morin, a uh, defenseman who was at the Prospects game. I want to talk a little bit about the Prospects game, not so much the game itself. You can look that up. You know, Team Red beat Team White 4-2. You know, somebody not named Connor Bedard was named players of the game, which to the to the surprise of most everybody, and <laughs> really putting the egg on the face of those who did the promotional stuff for this game, I will point out. <laughs> but there's something very interesting hidden amongst all of this. Um, oh, and by the way, quick shout out to uh, Matthew Cataford from the Mooseheads, uh, the yeah. only Q player to hit the score sheet uh, on that night uh, in Langley for Team Red. Um, but the thing that I wanted to uh, bring up here, Jamie, is the fact that CHL closed up shop for a couple of days leading into the tournament. There was no games on the night of the tournament, on the, on the night of the game, I should say, which was uh, Wednesday, and there was no games uh, on Tuesday. In fact, the games that were played um, Sunday and Monday were uh, a little more localized. Like I think one of them was like portland at spokane yeah. so not yeah. something that would be difficult yeah. for a western team to get to the queue shut down after sunday uh obviously because they had the longer travel and, and where i'm going with this is we just had an, a, um, a situation uh, at the beginning of this month we're taping by the way on tuesday uh, january 31st the beginning of this month and it's the same thing that happens every year almost every year and that's the gold medal game and the semifinal games at the World Juniors. We had games in the queue on those nights. Um, two th- and, and two of those games drew under 2,000 fans. Two others drew under 3,000 fans. Um, the gold medal game, the Blainville Boisbriand Armada, they drew 1,444 in, uh, into their rink, and Charlottetown drew 2,011 fans. And without looking at the stands, I'm pretty certain that those numbers are fake. No, no, <laughs> I, I, no, I, no I, they're I, always I, accurate. I'm yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Okay, stop the count. So anyway, um, my point is, okay, obviously the CHL shuts down and, you know, it's member leagues. Uh, in a rare 
form of unity, somewhat unity, because not even then, not all the leagues shut down at the same time. Um, they shut down for the prospects game. Why aren't we doing it for the world juniors? No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I used to be a hard, hard, yes, absolutely. They should be shut down completely, but I think there are some, you know, some stipulations I would put in. I think this year, for example, it definitely should have been shut down. It's in, it's literally in a junior hockey city. Um, it's in a, and it's in a, a you know, Canadian time zone. Uh, the game, the gold medal game is not going to be played at four in the morning. Uh, it's going to mm-hmm. be in prime time. Uh, I definitely think this year it should, there should not have been any games. Um, yeah. But I do also, I think, you know, if the game is, you know, at 4 a.m., I think, you know, it's fine playing games at night. Um, the other thing, too, is just I, the only hard part to have about this is you look at some of these teams, and I know you listed some of the lower attendances, but sometimes, you know, if, if the gold medal game falls on a weekend, uh, mm-hmm. there's no school. Those are typically high, high attended games during the year. Some of the, I know some of the rebuilding clubs, for example, during the holidays, these will be their highest attended games all year. Um, so I think it's challenging, you know, I, I would like to see, I would like to say, yes, it definitely should hundred percent of the time be no junior games during those two nights, but I think it's, it's challenging and I think it has to be under certain circumstances. Yeah. And I don't disagree with that. Um, now there, there's something very key that, uh, goes in the favor of uh, being able to make that decision ahead of time. Um, we always know that the gold medal game is going to be on January 5th. Um, And if that happens to change, chances are we will know well in advance because with the exception of this year's tournament, the tournament host is is advised well in advance. Building availability has to be made um, so that that can be worked around. And I do agree with you. You know, if it's a Friday or a Saturday night, that's totally different. If the tournament's in Canada and it's on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Maybe even a Sunday. Maybe I'm biased because I can't stand Sunday games. Um, but uh, at the very least, if it's on uh, if it's on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, just let's for the sake of the teams who are playing, for the sake of the fans who you know are skipping games or just aren't going to bother getting to to specific games, just give it some thought. You know, make it make it easier on everybody, and then. And then get back to business on as usual on January sixth. It's a tough time, obviously, because of the um, uh, because of the um, uh, holiday break. You know, just coming out of it. But at the end of the day, if it's, if it's during the weeknight uh, during the week, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays are pretty slow weeks in the queue anyway. So yeah. I don't think, or and and in the rest of the CHL, so don't think you're going to be missing too much. Um, now, we said we were going to talk about the NCAA. Of course, you know, Jamie, he went down to uh, Boston. He was doing his research. Um, you know, I, I told him that we wanted a report uh, ready on, on this story uh, post haste. And he did and he did not disappoint, or at least I'm assuming. I don't know what he's about to yeah, say. I, I'm, but... waiting for, I'm waiting to send my receipts to producer Connor here, and then I'll, I'll issue my report okay. after that. Excellent, excellent. Um, so, um, uh, just um, uh, with that being said, um, I'm, I'm actually checking. We have a, you know, uh, to give you an, uh, some insight on in what happens uh, behind the scenes on on this podcast because you know it's 
so riveting. Uh, we do have a little running chat that goes on here off to the sidebar, and Connor can tell us uh, whatever he needs to tell us. And I was just waiting for a comment to come in there, but uh, uh, apparently he must be too busy editing like the curling podcast or something yeah. like that. So uh, anyway, we're going to leave him alone. I'm going to say that your, uh, uh, your receipts are probably going to maybe accidentally get shredded you know best of luck godspeed um and we're gonna talk about a guy named zachary moran and you may not know that name but he did make headlines here a couple of weeks ago when he ended up signing in the uc uh, ushl with the youngstown phantoms um one of the if not the highest rated prospects for the queue that we've probably seen do this um so first of all, Jamie, um, where did you find this story, and what are some, and what are some of the details here? Yeah, some of the some of the folks in the scouting community posted this online, and um, you know it even says right in the article from the Youngstown, who apparently have co GMs, um, that he's projected to be one of or one of or potentially the uh, first overall pick in this year's Q draft. So um, obviously a very high end player. Um, and it, it definitely feels like maybe I'm completely wrong here. Well, but it definitely feels like in recent years, I've talked in the past five, 10 years, it seems like there's more, um, higher end Q guys choosing to go to the USHL and then ultimately the NCAA. Um, I don't know if we have enough, you know, evidence to say it's actually a trend, but it does seem like we're in a stretch here where there's a lot of, uh, higher end guys going down there. And I think this one's kind of interesting because I think it's easy for us to kind of look at a lot of these situations and say, well, they they chose this way because they don't want to deal with the language barrier. Uh, but here you have a, mm -hmm. a Quebec-born player going to the U.S. where it's obviously an English market. Um, right. And I, I think that this is a bit of a bit of an issue for the Q moving forward. And it's, it's funny how it seems like over the years, there's been so much focus and so much attention on bringing Americans into the Q. And now we're having almost this problem where um, traditional Q guys are choosing to go to the U.S. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's happened uh, on a number of occasions in recent times. You know, you took uh, Sebastian Bordalo's son. Uh, he was uh, one of the more, uh, one of the bigger names um, who uh, ended up, uh, um, and another, you know, example of, uh, of a kid who's, uh, you know, French first language, but still no problem going to, to an NCAA um, school. Um and you know that's those those are just two of the bigger names and and he and in uh, Moran. Um, I think that's the thing that um, kind of intrigues me now. You know, it's now a couple of bigger names, and it's happened within close proximity time wise of each other. That's where I think if I'm the Q, I'm taking a really really close look. And you know, you talk about you know the Q's desire to recruit ki uh, kids from the U.S., which has always been. Uh, a struggle, especially compared to the OHL and to the WHL, yes. um, which is ironic considering that the two biggest junior A leagues uh, for for retention of eligibility are the Alberta League and the BCHL. But the w, but the dub doesn't seem to be as affected as the Q mm -hmm. for for whatever reason. And you know, I remember you know even as recently you know in in my you know work with the Q as recently as you know three years ago I believe you know writing things for the New for the New England Hockey Journal as almost like an, uh, an advertisement for the queue, so to speak, you know, look at all the great players that, that have come through our, come through the league and, and, and all that. But um, I think the, the problem, as you said, I think it really is starting to hit a little bit closer to home and the talk of, you know, trying to placate 
you know, U.S. hockey or those teams, those players in, in New England, that seems to have gone away um, from from a league perspective as I know it. Um, it's certainly not as it's not as prevalent as it was five, ten, especially ten and fifteen years ago. But um, it'd be very interesting to see how this all proceeds, particularly with Morin, uh, you know, another highly touted touted guy. If he goes down there and uh, ends up uh, having a very strong campaign and speaks glowingly, and and keep in mind something I noticed in that press release. Uh, Jamie, um, the Youngstown Brass, uh, you almost get the feeling that they're trying to make this into more of a trend, uh, yep. the way that they're talking. Yep. You know, it's something that, you know, if there's not an action plan from the queue, you'd like to think that there's going to be one in the back of the minds of, uh, of, um, of uh, the top brass there, including the, whoever is going to be the next commissioner, the commissioner of this league. Yeah, 100%. I think that's going to be a huge, huge talking point as as they choose a new uh, commissioner about his plans to his or her plans um, to kind of combat this issue. Um, now, one of the other things I find interesting about this whole thing is you look at college hockey right now, and I know a lot of our listeners might not be hardcore college hockey fans, but um, there's more and more programs. You look at the University of Michigan, for example, um, that are bringing in these high end guys who are going, you know, top five, top 10 in the NHL draft. Um, and those, you know, that wasn't a huge thing back in the day. You know, you looked at college programs, they wanted guys that were going to be there for four or five years, not guys who are going to be there for a year and then gone to the NHL. Um, but there's schools now that are kind of accepting of that. And I'm yeah. sure there are players like Moran who think that maybe they're going to be good enough to be in the NHL at 19 or 20, uh, who maybe in the past would have shied away from the U.S. route because they they didn't want to stay in school for four or five years. But kind of that 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 old way of thinking has kind of gone away for a lot of these programs. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think part of that uh, rationale, just to wrap this up, Jamie is uh, you're, you're going to have certain guys in, in your program for maybe a year or two, but having them there for that one, one or two years is going to greatly assist the guys who are going to be in your program for four years. For sure. So, you know, you yeah. kind of take what you can get uh, as, as it comes. So uh, we'll be uh, keeping an eye on that. We, uh, we hope you do as well, uh, because it really is something that's kind of, it, it's kind of low key right now, but it could become a bigger thing uh, in, uh, in the years to come. Let's take a look at the mailbag. Now, uh, our old friend Swashbuckler, who um, uh, was very impressed with our scattering report on Theo Rochette, um, you know, some people, some people, you can just pull the wool over their eyes, Jamie. No offense, Swashbuckler, but hey, you know, you keep you're the guy who keeps coming back for more. So, you know, we talked about Rochette. Now he wants to talk about Peter Reynolds and how fitting that we're going to talk about this guy for two reasons. First of all, he's a sea dog, and you know, obviously you have an intimate knowledge of of the comings and goings of that team. But he was also supposed to go to Boston College, a team that you uh, had a chance to see a couple of times over the past week or so. So we're just going to tie everything into a nice little bow here. Thank you, Swashbuckler. And the the question, just to, to paraphrase, you know, Peter Reynolds, he was a commit to Boston College, ended up deciding to join the Sea Dogs. 
Some analysts thought he'd be mid-round draft pick uh, into the NHL during his draft year. Uh, as it played out, that hasn't been the case. Um, the, he hasn't maybe had the impact that uh, some people were expecting him to have uh, throughout his junior career. Uh, so the real qu- meat and potatoes of the question so is um, the expectation that he will get a big role in the second half. Is that what we expect? Is he coming back as an overager? Now, are there any lessons to be learned? I think this is the key one. From how things played out for him, would he have been better off going the college route? Well, I definitely think he's going to have a bigger role um, in the second half. I think the biggest issue with Reynolds this season has just been staying healthy, um, and he's he was hurt again last weekend. Um, so I think if he if he can stay healthy, he's got a huge role for the Seedos. He's definitely going to play major major minutes. Um, the Seedos are are weirdly weirdly uh, scoring like crazy right now. Um, in mm-hmm. Reynolds, he's been contributing sometimes, but sometimes he hasn't. It's been pretty impressive to see this team's uh, offense grow. Um, but I think as the season progresses, the, this team lacks experience up front. He's definitely going to get a lot of opportunities to play in different positions. Um, and he really showed the Memorial Cup last year that he's capable of, of playing a two-way game too. So I think um, really if there's a, any role that he can step into, I think he's going to get an opportunity uh, with this CDOS team. Um now the NCAA question—that's a—that's a tough one. And I think the thing with Reynolds to remember is that this—he chose to come to St. John during COVID when the border was closed. I think that definitely played a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's tough to say if he was better off going that route. Um, and kind of going back to something that we've talked about previously on this show, um, it doesn't really matter the route you take. If you're good enough to make the NHL, you're going to make it to the NHL. Um, so I think if if Reynolds can prove that he's good enough to make the NHL, he's going to be there no matter where he's playing. It's a good assessment. And, you know, my, on my own side of things, a uh, bigger role. I think we've already seen him in that bigger role, really, at, at, from the beginning of this year. Um, when he's healthy, uh, he's he's playing uh, bigger minutes. He's, you know, he's a top three, top six on a bad night sort of guy. Um, back as an overager, I see no reason why he wouldn't be. Um, yep. you know, uh, the only thing that's going to come between him and that occurrence would be a pro deal. Um, and and really at this point, especially given the season he's had this year where he hasn't been in the lineup consistently, what kind of deal would that be? Uh, it's probably to his better benefit at this stage to come back for the 20 year old season and try the yep. uh. Uh, try his luck in the pro ranks at 21. Um, and as far as the lessons and how things could have played out, well, sometimes you make your own luck. That's that's what it comes down to. Uh, um, you you make your own breaks. Uh, your talent will eventually come out. And these all sound cliche, but at the end of the day, they're true. And most guys who are like Peter Reynolds, who would have been thought of at one point to be a mid-round pick. And Theo Rochette's another great example, as Swashbuckler asked us uh, uh, for for his our opinion on a couple of weeks ago. Both in that similar basket where at one point they were considered, you know, mid-round prospects, not top end, but also, you know, yeah. not necessarily the sort of guy, sort of team that teams would be taking a major flyer on either. Um, when it comes to those guys, it's usually the guys who just simply um, put the skill set together, put the development component together. And that might be the biggest thing when it comes to guys like Rochette and especially Peter Reynolds. 
and manage to parlay that into uh, a pro career and a pro career that, that will not obviously start at the NHL level. You know, maybe he starts in the coast and, and, and works his way up. Maybe he, he starts in the AHL and, and finds his way to an NHL team at some point. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I think the circumstances, everything that's conspired here and just Reynolds overall play in general, tell me that, and this is hindsight, but I don't honestly know if the college route would have made any more of a difference, except to say, based on where he's at right now, versus if you watched your average run of the mill, especially division one college team right now, He's definitely getting more ice time now than he would have at, in NCAA at this point. Yep. So yep. You know, that's, that's, uh, and then maybe that's the uh, final determining factor and he'll get more looks up here when healthy because of the schedule. Yep. Totally. So thanks to Swashbuckler. And uh, if you have anything you want us to talk about, uh, questions, comments, critiques although we never get those so obviously we know what we're doing so they're shy you know, if, yeah. if you can you know if you can really drill down on one of these episodes and find one little thing that didn't turn out just right best of luck to you send it to us in the mailbag you can tweet us at at will mcgrider or at station underscore nation we would be happy to oblige and hey look connor's back don't tempt me hey eh? excellent by the way, all tweets will be screened. Coming up next, the NHL team profile. And uh, we're going to stay in the Metro on this one. We're going to talk about the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, I don't know about you, Jamie, but myself, um, there's nothing that thrills me more than a good old-fashioned John Tortorella soundbite. Um and boy, has he had the opportunity to give a few of those in recent times, uh, because this team is who boy, uh, and not just because of on the ice. <laughs> we'll, we could spend all night talking about that. But uh, there are a few guys that uh, are in the NHL right now, helping them out one way or another. There's a guy in the queue and there's another guy on the way who could, if his trajectory plays out. Uh, be of impact some point in the future. Let's talk about the guy in the queue. And it's a guy that kind of went under the radar for the first half of the year, but uh, has turned it on as of recently, and that's Alexis Gendron. Yeah, he's having a fantastic season. Honestly, this is someone who I hadn't paid a lot of attention to until this year, um, but he was putting up you know, some serious points on a pretty bad Armada team, um, and then ultimately got dealt to a very good team in Gatineau. Um, he's having a great season. This is the first time he's he's averaging um, at a point per game um, in his career. So uh, definitely a huge breakout year for him. Um, great to see. And I definitely think um, pro, pro opportunities are going to come his way as if this production can continue. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, like seemingly everybody else who's uh, made their way to Gatineau uh, since the trade period occurred, uh, another guy who's just been absolutely uh, turning things up. Um, you know, not in as high a profile role as a guy like a Riley Kidney, perhaps, or even a Frankie LaPena, but nonetheless holding his own and, and leading Gatineau to their share of victories. And of course, in the AHL, there's a guy who um, I know when he got drafted into the queue, uh, his calling card was as a two-way forward. 
And it turned out that he was not only a two-way forward, he was two two-way forward that could pop 40 goals a year and make the world junior team by the time it was all over. And that's Elliot Denoye, who uh, you know, you have these certain guys, Jamie, who you go to the rink, you, you want to cheer for them. For for me, Elliot Denoye does fit that criteria for sure. A great guy off the ice by all by all accounts, but also a guy who's made the most of every opportunity that's been uh, uh, earned by him. Yeah, and like you said, definitely found his scoring touch in the queue, and that's that's carried over into the pro hockey. Uh, Twenty three points in forty one AHL games this year. That's you know those aren't mind blowing numbers, but those are good numbers for a rookie um, in the AHL at his age. So um, having a really good season and. Uh, boy, remember where we were last year at this time with Denoye involved in a very, very newsworthy stuff about stuff that didn't happen. Um, yes. about the non-trade uh, to yeah. St. John. Uh, so uh, looks like he's he's more of a having a more of a low-key January uh, this year. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not quite as dramatic, and I I suppose to add on to that, uh, you know. Um, it's a situation where there's probably somebody else in the minor leagues right now uh, who could probably thank Elliot Denoye for that other person getting a Memorial Cup ring last year. Uh, certain situations uh, played out differently than originally anticipated, but oh, to uh, not to go, not to uh, harp on that for, for too long. Um, three guys in the NHL. And I say that with an asterisk because one of them is Sean Couturier. Um, former Drumville Voltigeur, former second overall pick in the queue back in 2008. He's on long-term injury reserve uh, after undergoing back surgery. Awful, awful luck with uh, injuries for him. Uh, had his number retired by the Voltigeur, though, last year. So uh, definitely a memorable name from the league's past. And then two guys who, you know what, if I was to think of uh, any guys in particular that um, – I would expect to see from the queue on a John Tortorella team. <laughs> These two guys are probably as high on the list as anybody else. Nicola yeah. Delore and Zach McEwen. If those two don't scream John Tortorella, I don't know what does. <laughs> well, first of all, Sean Couturier, open for the best for him. Definitely one of the best New Brunswickers to ever play in the NHL. So open for the best uh, Definitely. for him. Uh, but yeah, Deloria had a great, great fight with, uh, with, uh, Ryan Reeves, uh, recently, mm-hmm. um, Zach McEwen, uh, <laughs> both guys who are known for their hands, but not with the hockey stick, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's um, fair to say. Yeah, right? not, not, you know what, that, that's probably a very, uh, fair assessment, I'd say. And incredibly diplomatic, by the way, far more diplomatic than anything John Tortorella would ever do. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, two guys who really had to earn. I mean, Zach McEwen. I remember watching him play for the Amherst Rams. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Was, I knew that was junior A. Yeah. Of course, it's you know, it's me. There's going to be a junior A reference <laughs> at some point in this broadcast. You just don't know when. Oh, well, you know when because you get the script every week. But anyway, um, good, uh, good to see both of them uh, continuing to uh, forge ahead on uh, NHL careers that maybe weren't uh, as obvious to the naked eye uh, back in their junior days. Um, and of course, we, as you mentioned, wish all the best for Sean Couturier. Uh, his injury, of course, is uh, a very serious one. And it's an unfortunate um, segue, but the guy we're going to talk about in our two, 2023 draft prospect of the week has also been battling injuries, but he has not let that 
prevent himself from shooting up the rankings a little bit here in most recent times in the uh, latest uh, players to watch list for the NHL. And we're talking about Luke Cogman, defenseman for the Ramuski Oceanic, um, who has uh, all the tools, plus he has the size, plus he has the strength. The big thing with a guy like Luke is just getting over the injury hump, which hopefully he's done, and just getting out on the ice to continue to improve that uh, that stock of his because, quite frankly, when he's out on the ice, he's a difference maker. Yeah, and, you know, if he can kind of learn find a way to stay healthy moving forward, I think that he might be, end up being a steal in this draft, really. Um, mm-hmm. But I imagine he's probably going to fall down the rankings simply because he hasn't played a lot. Uh, but averaging uh, just under point. 0.5 points per game, which is pretty good for a 17-year-old, even though he hasn't played a ton. Um, and, you know, coming into the league, it was definitely expected to to produce some numbers on offense, but uh, hasn't really had the opportunity to do that. But we'll see what he can do over the next couple of years when we'd expect to see, uh, you know, defensemen really find their groove of 18, 19-year-old seasons. Um, and certainly plays on a team that is known for his defensive style. So, you know, he's definitely learning um, a lot about the defensive game under Serge Beausoleil. Um, and like you said, also, uh, a guy who plays kind of a physical style, not the biggest, not the biggest player. I think he's only listed at five ten, but, um, uh, definitely kind of plays with an edge too. Yeah, definitely. No strong on the skates. It's, it's a big factor there. Um, but, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Jamie, or as you alluded to a guy on, uh, an up and coming Ramuski team, you know, drafted fourth overall in 2021 expected to be a uh, a key cog over the next two to three years uh, for uh, Serge Beausoleil's uh, Oceanic squad. And uh, based on what he's done when he's in the lineup, there's no reason to believe that uh, things won't just keep chugging along uh, at uh, at a good pace for Luke. And uh, hopefully uh, we see his stock rise a little bit more by the time the summer rolls around and his name hopefully gets announced. So that about does it for this week. Um, Again, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you want us to talk more about something, if you want us to talk less about something, (laughs) I can easily see that being the case, uh, feel free to send us a message. Again, the Twitter handles are at Will McBrider and at Station underscore Nation. We'd love to hear from you, and you will make it to the air almost guaranteed. But again, Connor, remember, we are scanning. We are screening those tweets. So... Just don't don't waste your time. For Jamie Tozer, I'm Will McLaren. Thanks again for tuning in to THN on the Q brought to you by BetMGM. We will see you again right here next week.